Blog Talk Radio. to Frights of the Roundtable. I'm your host, Jonathan Moody, and uh, we got some great guests. But be- right before I introduce them, I wanted to say, uh, do a quick shout-out to Jeff Brassfield, who did that awesome theme music that is actually... Um, that this was the first day it debuted on here and everything, and uh, I love it uh, completely. Uh, it's, it's something... It's brand new for us. So, uh, made just for Frights of the Roundtable. Anyway... Uh, here I'm with uh, Dustin Hubbard, who's been on the show before, uh, like uh, recently. How are you doing, Dustin? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jonathan? Uh, great as well. All right. And we've also got Jacob Ennis, who is here for the first time. How are you doing, Jacob? Pretty good. It's the mood. All right. Yep. Um <laughs> Now, uh, Jacob, um, I, right before I started, I wanted to say uh, Jackie Hall says hi. I, I spoke to her right before I did the show. So she wanted me to make sure to say hello to you. I appreciate it. I love Jackie, man. She's awesome. Love working with Jackie. So hi back to Jackie. <laughs> um, anyway, so let's uh, let's begin. Uh, basically, what's going to happen is since, uh, Jacob, your last uh your last name is alphabetically uh, before Dustin's. Um, uh, I'll ask you the questions first, and I'll ask. Then it'll go to Dustin, and then we'll both. We'll all kind of basically talk about. Um, I mean, we'll we'll talk about it. Uh, certain questions, but the first one I'll ask you is: Do you feel like you do, uh, do anything different than other filmmakers? And if so, what do you uh, feel like you do differently? Um differently well uh i don't know if i would say differently maybe something i would maybe take advantage of is like uh living in kentucky i have a lot of access to a lot of very rural locations that are off the beaten path and uh you know gives me a lot of production value for you know not a lot of money so i you know maybe as far as advantage as far you know i would take in that you know as far as the scenery and everything i have to work with Okay, do you feel like you have, like, a different style at all or anything? Um, well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I guess you'd have to watch all my movies to kind of, you know, as far as me, I like to be very, you know, hands-on. I shoot everything that, you know, that I direct. I also shoot it, and uh, that way. To me, it's a lot easier to just, you know, get the shots I want as you know, trying to explain to somebody what I want. I just like to get in there and shoot myself. I feel it's more efficient that way and keeps the production moving, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what about you, Dustin? Uh, stylistically, I can't say that I maybe do or I don't. I, one thing that I would say that 
I think is probably a different mindset that I, I try to keep than a lot of other people is that when I am working on a film, I really want to strive to actually try and just make something that's entertaining and I don't really worry about... I worry about making something that I would enjoy watching. Uh, I don't worry about... <laughs> Uh, how much money it can make me, or I guess, which could be a bad thing, I guess, from a from a business standpoint. But I don't really see it as a business. I see it as doing, you know, me trying to immerse myself in trying to make movies that I find entertaining, that I find personally gratifying. Um, that's how I approach it. Okay. Good. Um, all right. So, Jacob, uh, would you rather have more money but less control or less money and more control? Definitely less money and more control. I mean, um, when you're working on a micro-budget film, you have to cut corners and do what you can, you know, to get a film made. A lot of times that includes, you know, losing some of your vision that you had for a particular film, you know, or whatever, but you got to, you know, cut things out to make it work with your budget you're working with. Um, but, you know, I like to have that control. I mean, I don't like, I could definitely, I don't like, would definitely not like having somebody over my shoulder telling me, no, you can't do this, you can't do that, or you got to change this or that. You know, that's, luckily with my distributor, you know, they give me pretty much, a lot of control over my, you know, what product that I put out. So, uh, yeah, I definitely, so I'd rather have control over money. Absolutely. All right. What about you, Dustin? I'm totally with Jacob on this. I I would much rather have control than money. Money's a great amenity if it's there. But uh, I, I think that at the end of the day, again, kind of going back to my answer on your first question, I just... I want to make something that I I would enjoy, and I don't think that I could make something that I would fully be able to stand behind if I had a bunch of money dogs bitching at me and telling me how I needed to make my movie and, you know, obscuring what I wanted to make. And I just, you know, having no money can really be a pain in the butt sometimes, but at the same time, I think that as a filmmaker, it can test your ability and your limits and actually uh, make you more creative and it teaches you how to, you know, get around problems and cut corners and try and be creative and actually really accomplish something you might not have thought you could do on a shoestring. And I think that those are usually those little earmarks that can really make a movie more special instead of just having some over-budgeted manufactured product that, you know, is looks like 20 other movies. So I would much rather have the control, hands down. It wouldn't even be—it's not even a question to me. Well, it's amazing first off to get—you know—it's amazing to get a feature film done to begin with. So I give kudos to anybody that can actually—you know—set out. There's a lot of people who say, "I'll do this one day. I'll do this if I get this. I'll be able to do this if I have this budget or this camera or this or that." You know, it's all really in the end of the day is about getting out there and making something that, you know, with what you have to work with. Yep. Exactly. And, yeah, and, and that's a reason why I brought that up, And uh, because I know both of you guys are micro-budget filmmakers, so when it comes to that. Now, all right, which brings me to my next question pretty much, which is what what do you think qualifies as a micro-budget film, um, Jacob? 
Uh, I would say, well, under a hundred thousand or not a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know, to me, is pretty micro considering. But I believe me, I've worked for way less than that. But you know, in the in that ballpark, I would consider micro. But realistically, probably around you know ten thousand or under. Right. What do you think, Dustin? Same. Every pretty much every uh, major movie that I've had my hand directly in as a producer have all been within at most like the ten to twelve thousand range. So I would I would consider when you're when you're down in that area to a to a big Hollywood person that'd probably be you know unthinkable. But but to me that's that that's what I would consider micro budget. I I personally think it's almost laughable when you hear, you know, Hollywood types or even SAG kind of how they'll dictate that, you know, a micro budget film or something like that is something that is upwards of the hundred, you know, hundred and fifty thousand mark because if I had a hundred hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars I would literally feel like, you know, the world opened up, you know what I mean? I just had all this money. I I, I don't even know what I I don't even know if I would know what to do with that much money because I've never produced something on that level. So I mean, I to me definitely being down in like you know the the ten fifteen range, that's what I see as being micro budget because you have to really <laughs> make every dollar count. Okay. Um. Now, do you feel like uh? And I'm just gonna go to you, Dustin, uh, specifically because I know you uh. You've done like you produce, you know, you executive produced or or whatever, like uh, some of the uh, full moon pictures stuff. You put money in for their stuff. Um, do you feel like that's micro budget? Uh, no, I, I I wouldn't call it micro budget. I would call it I would call it independent though to a degree. I mean, I think that some of their movies are they are made for you know, probably 10 to 15 times more than what I'm used to making a movie for. So um, it would probably be considered micro-budget by a Hollywood standard, but and to me it's not. <laughs> to me, to me that, would, that would be, to me, like what an independent film is because you see people do these independent films. You know, you can't see me doing the quotations with my fingers, but, you know, you see these independent films that come out that have these, huge name stars that are like, oh, we're working for sale on stuff. And it's like, you know that they didn't cost 10 grand to make, you know, these independent movies with these really swanky Hollywood stars and stuff. So, that, you know, they had to have been probably upwards of like 100 grand to make it. But again, that's what Hollywood would consider an indie. But I, that's, I would consider that kind of Well, You've got like HBO indie and stuff like that, which is a total joke when they're working with a half a million dollars or or more, you know. So <laughs> exactly. I mean, the word indie, the word indie has a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people, you know. Yeah, definitely. Budget wise, and that, that and, and to me that goes to with what uh, Dustin was saying as like Hollywood indie compared to like actual indie indie. You know, um, to yeah, us, that, uh, if we had a hundred thousand dollars to make a movie, we'd probably pitch ourselves and probably get really. Yeah, I, would, I, I would feel yeah. like I would feel like the biggest Hollywood producer if I had a hundred grand in my bank account waiting for me to go make one movie with it. But the, the indie <laughs> producer in me would be like, 
you know, forget making one huge movie. Let's go make ten. <laughs> like that's what that's what my mind would say. Because <laughs> I was I would just be like, right. what would I do? What would I use all this money for one movie for? Let's go make at least like eight to ten really you know fun movies instead of like one gigantic one. I don't know. That could be a crazy mentality though. <laughs> well, I don't know. I would take that hundred grand and go cash the check immediately and go make a movie. But. <laughs> Uh, but you got to work with what you got, you know. Right. Um, Now, uh, my next question um, is, uh, do you guys have any crazy on-set stories that you'd like to talk about? Uh, Jacob. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Let's see. I don't know where to start. I I guess maybe Stash, um, there's a scene where the character Bud, he's walking through the woods there, and he's got this body, and it's uh, wrapped up in plastic and duct tape, and he's kind of, like, strolling around there, you know, disposing of this body. And uh, on the on the property we were shooting, it was an old hunt, hunting cabin, and there was these old couple that lived in this cabin that had no electricity off pretty close to where we were shooting at. And they weren't exactly in their right mind, and... As we were shooting that, this old guy come running out with, like, this, you know, this pear knife. And he was, like, had it right up to, like, Kevin, the guy that played, you know, uh, Bud and Stash, right up to the gut, getting ready to stab the guy. And we're like, no, 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 we're shooting a, ca- we're shooting a movie, dude. You know, like, here's the camera. You see, we got, my, you know. And it took us literally, like, 15 minutes of, like, standing off with this guy and keeping him from killing our actor. I mean, literally killing our actor right in front of us. He was crazy, so... That right there was probably one of the, I've had many experiences, but that was probably one of the scariest ones that I've had, you know, right off that I can think of. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we had, we like, on the set of my movie, uh, like my short film that I did, uh, Hatchet Lady, or no, actually, Bash, we had this lady that was basically a hatchet lady. Um, she was like some like crazy lady with a hatchet in the woods. So um, we were lucky that she, and she's like, you know, we left the equipment in the woods thinking that nobody was around. When we came back, she had taken it. <laughs> so, well, you know, that's kind of like, it's kind of a similar story in a way, except she didn't actually try to go psycho on us. But I did make a movie out of it, a short film. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, it happened. Like, um, now, Dustin, what are your crazy stories? Uh... You know, with the first thing that I produced being for Christ's sake uh, with Debbie Rashawn, there was so much that went on with that, and I think you and I have talked about that uh, privately on some occasions, Jonathan. But I, I could I could do a whole documentary about all of the crazy onset bad stuff that happened during for Christ's sake. I guess when you do a movie where you clone Jesus, you're just apt to really have bad energy just loom over you like a rain cloud and everything to just completely get screwed because <laughs> nothing went right. And the one of the biggest problems, I'll say that my, my crazy set issue with, for Christ's sake, one of the primary things with we our camera woman that we had hired was crazy. She was she ended up being bipolar and at times almost narcoleptic. She she would just take naps in the middle of shooting and she you couldn't wake her up. One night we took a we took a lunch break on the very first night of shooting and she passed out on the couch 
and I'm I tried to wake her up for probably 20 minutes. She was I literally she looked like a dead body on the couch. I got on top of her back and was shaking her, saying, "Wake up, wake up, come on, let's go. We're behind schedule." And she wouldn't move. It was like a cadaver on my couch. Like, and then when she woke up, you know, she said, "Oh, all right, let's go." You know, and, you know, we'd be ready to shoot stuff, and she'd go in and like start cooking things. And it's like, we're ready to shoot. You need to come with us. And she'd be like, "Well, I'm gonna eat, so you guys can wait." And it's like, what are you doing? Like. Since then, so then, since then, I'm like, I don't like hiring camera people. <laughs> like, since then, I've shot a couple things myself because my experiences with camera people have always been rocky roads. And <laughs> she ended up, we ended up reshooting some footage, and we um, didn't include her. And she ended up showing up to the reshoot where one of our primary locations. We were we were shooting at a home in an old folks community here in Florida. And she showed up, crashed the shoot completely, threw everything off schedule, and made a huge scene, lots of yelling and cussing, and a huge public spectacle right out in the front yard of, you know, this home in an old folks community where just all of these senior citizens can, like, hear and are watching us. And, you know, she's just, like, going crazy. who do you think you are? You aren't. You aren't anybody. You're trying to, you know, fire me off this movie and stuff. And it's like the footage speaks for itself. Look at the footage. You're a terrible camera person. You're crazy. You're crazy. You don't take orders. You you try and tell me how to do the movie. I'm the director. You're just the hired help. Like it was just it was a disaster. She was an absolute nightmare. I, I her memory. Her you know her memory still haunts me to this day. Like seven years later. So that's my crazy set story. I've got, I've got wow. one more little thing for you there, John. All right. All right, on Kill Granny Kill, my latest movie, <clears throat> we're getting ready to shoot this big death scene. I have this old farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere in Greene County, Kentucky. And we roll up, and they're having, at the house, I already had, you know, clearance, already done, set up everything. When we roll up, there was these people that had started, they were having a freaking house party there, man. <laughs> no joke. Right. Like a full-on freaking house party. Like, they just went over without getting permission. I can, I can just picture it. Yeah, and they were, like, throwing down. There was, like, this uh, this one old big girl that was, like, rolling around out in the, in the grass and stuff, and, and the dude was like, Oh, don't worry, it's my old lady. She's just drunk. She's just out there cooling off, rolling out in the hay, you know, cooling off out there. It's all right, don't worry about her. But I mean, it was crazy, but it ended up, they ended up being really cool people, and they they were having a birthday party out there, you know, for Cash's girlfriend. His name was Cash, the guy that was out there. And they were having a big old birthday throw down, and she was like, oh, this is the coolest birthday I've ever had, you know, we should, there's been a movie shot here at my birthday party and all this and that, but they ended up being real cool. Like during, like after we, you know, call action, they would be quiet, and they ended up helping us out a lot. So, it turned out to be a cool experience in the long run. But yeah, it was pretty wild rolling out there, getting ready to shoot like this big crucial death scene, and there's like a big freaking house party going on at her freaking location. <laughs> yeah, that's funny, and um, you know, I wanted to mention because like I've had. I particularly, as a filmmaker, um, I was producing uh, a movie, uh, another movie for Scary Stories Slumber Party Volume 1, 
called The Pledge, and it, you know, it had Stephanie Ten in it. And the first time that we were shooting it, um, I got asked to come outside, and we had to reshoot it uh, later because we weren't able to get everything all in one day. Like I thought we were going to be able to get the whole movie done in one day. I, I don't know what I was thinking, but um, we went out, and uh, I went out to talk to these two ladies who had driven, like they literally lived across the street. They drove their car up to the um, edge of the yard and um, asked to speak to the producer of the film. So I I came up and, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know who was in the car. Um, so I came in there and the lady said to me, uh, to you know, something like, um, like she was like, what kind of movie are you guys doing? And I was like, um, a horror film, which I've been told never to say that again to anybody. You know, Definitely because never say you that. You Definitely um, <laughs> Just a big mistake. Uh, but, you know, just say, like, thriller or something. Well, they were asking what kind of movie Kilgrain. I mean, well, I didn't say it was Kill Granny Kills. It was called Granny's Keeper. You know, it was about these... Uh, people that went out and watched over their grandma would take care of her and stuff when when anybody asked, you know, what we were shooting. So, yeah, I can't exactly say oh, we're, uh, we're shooting hey. kill, Granny Kill, you know. Yeah, see, when we so, did For Christ's Sake, we, try, we tried to, like, put the movie on file with the film board here and play all night and stuff, and once they found out we were doing a horror movie, they straight up stopped returning my calls and emails. <laughs> yeah. That happened. Um, yeah. but, so I basically ended up uh, talking to these people, and, and they were like, we don't want a horror movie in our neighborhood. And I was like, I'm sorry. We got the landowner's permission, so we can kind of make it. And they are like, we're calling the police on you. I'm like, okay. Not and so I walked away, and they did. They called the police. The police came out. They said, um, we've never had to, you know, had to do this. You guys need permits. They actually asked if we needed permits, which one of the two of my guys said, actually, no, we had the landowner's permission, you know, so we don't need permits, sir. And um, they said, okay, carry on. You know, I almost <laughs> thought they were going to ask to be in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they were cool. Was just, they would have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, whatever. It was, it was cool. It, was, it, it worked out, but. We ended up having to reshoot it later, and then we had to reshoot it. It became a hassle because those two ladies, um, you know, and everything, they wanted everything done by, you know, a certain time, and if everybody, if by midnight, and if you know being outside, you know, at all at night, you know, you can't get hardly anything done in like three or four hours, you know. So it was just, oh, it was a pain in the ass, but, you know. Whatever I I asked about the uh, about that stuff because you know that the, a lot of that stuff happens like different uh, you know you have different things like the house party thing reminded me of that stuff you know and everything um, but uh, next question do you guys would do you guys prefer practical men uh, practical um, effects over CGI? Um, uh, Jacob, absolutely practical, man. I mean, I grew up in, you know, watching the movies, all these great horror films, the late seventies and eighties, all these awesome practical effects. You know, that's what I grew up watching, and I've always had interest in. And I believe there's always a place for 
you know, CGI to add to practical elements that are already there or to take away from things that might be there. But as far as, like, blood, I mean, come on. That's the, it looks terrible when you do CGI. I don't care what you say. I mean, what, how good you are, what you do, it doesn't look as good as a real freaking, you know, blood splatter on set. I mean, take five freaking minutes and pump that shit out. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. Huh? <laughs> I mean, definitely. So there's my answer, obviously. <laughs> All right. So, what do you think, Dustin? Uh, I I completely agree. And in, in my in my world, CGI doesn't exist. I mean, it's. I think that you know, like again, you know, same as Jacob. I grew up in that era where you know you didn't really have horror stars. You know, where the people in the movies, your stars were people like Tom Savini and Dick Dick Smith and things like that. You know, they were these people that were actually doing like real, you know splatter effects and stuff in movies and and it, there really is no no substitute for a good you know like blood splatter or creature effects and stuff and you know when I see people that rely too much on stuff like that it just kind of it irks me because it feels like I don't know when I watch a movie and there's just like CGI like senseless CGI all over the place not to denigrate the the quote-unquote art of CGI, but because I know that that's not, you know, it's 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 an art in and of itself, I suppose, but it's it just anytime I see a movie where a filmmaker tries to over-rely on it, unless you're making something like Lord of the Rings or some shit, I think that if you're just going to rely on CGI to do everything, you're lazy. I mean, go hire, a, go hire an effects person who, you know, knows some stuff get some real quality, tangible shit in your movie. And it'll, it'll bump up the quality, I think, because CGI just makes you look lazy. And, and, and yeah, like computer blood and shit just looks terrible. Anytime you computer animate any type of liquid, like water or rain or blood splatter, or you like CGI fire or some shit, it makes your movie look so generic and tacky. So I can't stand it. So practical all the way. CGI can fuck off, in my opinion. Unless it's suburban Sasquatch, and it's freaking awesome. But other than that, no CGI. <laughs> well, what was the other one he did uh, that Dave did? Uh, did you ever see Fungicide? That was like uh, a lot of CGI, too, and that was just freaking awesome. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I actually worked with Dave uh the the writer of Suburban Sasquatch. Uh, I wrote like a couple lines, I guess, in his movie uh, Adventures of the Haunted Hunted. And uh, you know, and I had not heard of that movie. Like I hadn't heard that it was even done for like six or seven years or whatever. <laughs> and he, they were like, "Hey, did you get a copy of it?" And I was like, "I didn't know it was done." Sweet. <laughs> so my I get credited for writing it and I don't even remember what I wrote. <laughs> you know? Oh. I was like, yeah, I guess I contributed, you know, a couple of jokes <laughs> or something, a couple of lines. Uh, uh, but talking talking about this real quick, like we shot a back in the day there was this Jerry Williams film I worked on called Purbos and we had uh, Conrad Brooks from Plan Nine and Jane Gale, you know, all these awesome movies, you know, early Ed Wood movies and stuff, and, like, I was setting up the shot, and he could see the monitor, man, so I would get a take, and he's like, all right, champ, 
let's move on. You got the master. Let's move on. You know, so <laughs> like, I get, I'll, I'll be like, you know, ready to get close to me, like, that's too close, champ. You got the master. Let's move on. So it's like very old school, you know, like, we don't have enough film. We literally don't have enough film. You got the master. Let's move on. So I thought that, you know, it was really cool just, you know, to sit back and hear all of the old Ed Wood stories and, like, the you know, going back to the real deal, you know, B-movie, man. I thought that was just really pretty awesome experience. Conrad and I were in talks at one point about working together, and unfortunately, um, I just don't see that ever happening um, right now. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if he's even still like doing stuff um, acting-wise at all. Because I know he did the Plan Nine remake, which I was a part of. Um, right. But, uh, as a good zombie, you know, and stuff. But anyway, I he got to play in that movie or whatever, and he was he was great in it because I got to see it. Um, but that was, you know, I mean, a wonderful, wonderful guy. I've met him at, uh, I think it was at one of the horror finds or something. I think it was horror find weekend. Really great guy up in, you know, he up in Pennsylvania. I got to meet him, you know, so. I'd highly, I'd highly recommend check out Jan Gale 1 and 2. That's some good stuff. I think I have Jan Gale on video just that. There's literally uh, like a five minute uh, uh, scene where he's wrestling with the snake, man, or where the beast is wrestling with the, the rubber snake, man. It's like classic. <laughs> Good stuff. That's awesome. I, you know, I'm a I'm a big Conrad Brooks fan, honestly, and I mean, this guy is so like super nice, and uh, plus, I mean, you know, obviously, I love all the Edward movies too, so. You know, and I appreciate I appreciate the stuff that he was able to do on such a low budget. Like even if it wasn't the greatest, you know, I I think that I would rather watch an Ed Wood film than a Steven Spielberg film. Honestly, that sounds bad. At the end of the day, you know? Ed, at the end of the day, Ed Wood was making the movie he wanted to make, and he thought it was great. <laughs> so at the end exactly. of the day, that made it all worth it, in my opinion. So. Right. I know. I mean, that goes back to the whole and budget thing, you know, over control, and he did what he wanted to do. So yeah, I'm yep. all about some red wood. Yep. Very and true. he, you know, he got the budget he wanted and the control he wanted. You know, he never once lost control over this stuff. You know, his movies may not have came out the greatest, but he, you know, he made the movies he wanted to make. And uh, for any independent filmmaker, that's like that's the gift of independent filmmaking, you know. Um, all right, well we're pretty much out of time. Um, is there any last things you guys want to talk about, like projects that you guys are doing or whatever? What about you, Jacob? What are you up to? All right, well I got Kill Granny Kill coming out April 21st from uh, Alternative Cinema, Alternative Cinema Camp Motion Pictures. Uh, I got a special release DVD VHS combo thing coming out with. It. It's really cool, so. You can check that out and pretty much order it everywhere online or go to alternativecinema.com. All right. And will you be at any conventions or anything coming up? I usually do uh, Fright Night Film Fest and Scare Fest usually about every year. So you can usually find me there. Yeah. Shauna was trying to get me to do Scare Fest this year. Um, I may go out for that. Don't you should know do it, about... Yeah, I mean, I met you at Fright Night. So we, right. you know, back in, God, that was what, 2010? 
That was a while ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really was, yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. I remember I got to watch uh, Red River at that film fest, and you were in the audience. Uh, I had a great, a great old time watching your film. So I appreciate was, it. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a fun movie, but you know, also Jackie was in that movie. So, you know, I, I wanted to go there to support her and you. So, I appreciate it. Um, again, Jackie, you're awesome. Jackie's awesome. Jackie's awesome. <laughs> All right, uh, Dustin, what are you what are you up to? Uh, uh too many things. Uh, I think everyone should go check out Slaughter Daughter if they haven't. It's available on demand on iTunes, Google Play, all that good stuff. Uh, I've been helping uh, Michael Farr, the writer director of Victimized, with that film it's currently doing its festival run and we'll hopefully have DVD later this year. I've been producing a rape revenge type thriller called The Shed pulled from a male victim's perspective which should be pretty unique and I'm planning to get back into directing hopefully later this summer with a uh, crazy um uh, found footage thing, so we'll see how that goes. So <laughs> Most of the details wait, on that it, are still under wraps, though, so. I want to know about the shed real quick. Does, does the, uh, does an, another male rape the male, or is it a it's female actually, that rapes the male? Yes, it is actually a male who is captured by another man and held prisoner in a shed and made a sex slave for a period of time until he escapes and overcomes. <laughs> so very very intense dark very intense dark stuff, I think so. All right. And that was very delivery. Yeah. <laughs> um uh but uh how can people uh reach you, uh Jacob? My personal email, I mean, it's Tuckywood Productions at Yahoo.com. Or look me up on Facebook, uh, Jacob Dennis there on Facebook. Probably the best way. All right. How about you, Dustin? Uh, easiest, quickest ways to get at me on Facebook, just look my name up, Dustin Hubbard. Uh, or if people want to reach out by email, they can get me there too at Ritterfan at Hotmail.com. All right. Well, thank you guys so much, and everybody check out Frights of the Roundtable on Twitter, um, and thank you guys. Um, you guys are more than welcome once again to come back at some point and talk about other stuff that's going on. Um, and everybody also check out uh, Indie Corner, uh, the Independent Corner uh, radio show as well, which is my other side project, my other project. So thank you guys. Um, hope you guys had a good time. Sure did. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. All right. Good night. Good night.